Good morning. We're uh, going to be reading Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and then we'll jump down to uh, verses 18 through 25. And you're going to find that on page 807 of your pew Bibles. Matthew 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Please pray with me. Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, King of kings and Lord of lords, Emmanuel, God is with us. These are some of the names we use to praise you. Lord, Please allow our worship to be pleasing to you today. As we read these verses in this season, we can't help but think of the child that was born unto us, of the miraculous virgin birth, and the sinless God-man Jesus, that only he could atone for our sins, only he could defeat death and rise again. Help us to remember these things, O Lord. Lord, we ask that you would be with Pastor Cody as he preaches through these verses today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have spent this being the third week here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and following all the way, the whole entire chapter, verse 25, and I did not have Warren read it, but we're going to slide down into chapter 2 this morning as well. Uh, If you've followed a bit of the sermon titles the last two weeks up until this week, you'll be able to put it together and see what I'm driving at, which is Jesus Christ, an unnatural birth for a supernatural work for a glorious worship. And this morning we pick up a glorious worship. What do we mean by this? Uh, Where do we see this glorious worship. We'll slide into chapter 2 to see this. It, it's, a, it's an idea that fills out the entirety of uh, the, God's relation with his people Israel in the Old Testament. God being with them in presenting himself with them in many ways and yet now we have something uh, unlike the Old Testament being God with us even bodily. Emmanuel bodily presence of Jesus Christ. Well, what do I 
what am I, what am, what am I going to try to do? I'm going to try to do something that they do not suggest preachers do. So I'm just going to say that at the beginning so that this falls flat on your face. You can't come up to me and say, yeah, that was a bad idea. Or you can agree with me anyway. Uh, that is, I'm going to try to tie the beginning of Matthew to the end of Matthew. Uh, I'm going to try to help us see that what is taking place from verse 23 of your Bible there in chapter 1, dropping down into chapter 2 just a bit, uh, really is the bookend, the beginning, if you will, tying to the end of Matthew and, and one of the highlights of the book of Matthew that Matthew is seeking to draw out for us that specifically is now spiritually even more glorious for us this morning as we think about Christmas. Well, we have seen there an unnatural birth. We saw a bit of his lineage. He's from the son of David, but he's also the hope for the Gentile, the son of Abraham. It was an unnatural birth. Verse 20, but as he considered these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. We looked last week at this supernatural work, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And we looked at all that that means. What is Christ? Who is he? What does that name represent? He will, and we hung out on that. He will, he has, he did, he is doing even now. Save his people from their sins. You may recall that we thought about what it is that Joseph and Mary, even if we're still alive today, sitting in the pew with us, would recognize the work of their son to save his people from their sins. Still happening. Still bringing those from darkness into light. And then we see this glorious worship or I hope to help you see it notice verse 23 which is where we'll center a lot of our time Emmanuel which means God with us quote from Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 and up to this point the idea of God with his people looked like the ark of the covenant It looked like his presence with them in that way. And we can think of all that is there. If we had time, we can go. And it's helpful to go. If you like this afternoon, go read about the Ark of the Covenant, how it's created and what's going on there. Read about the Holy of Holies. Read about the tabernacle. And this was the representation of the presence of God with his people. And it was very, very important for them. Uh, Thus, we we can think of the end of 1 Samuel. Uh, when the ark is taken by the Philistines. That's a huge deal. Beginning of First Samuel. It's a huge deal. Uh, because to them it signified the presence of God not being with his people. And here we have the prophet. And you'll recall, uh, this is actually a rebuke to a king. Isaiah is actually rebuking a king. Because he would not, cre- he would not ask for a particular sign. God would give them a sign. And that would be that A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The presence, the truly fleshly presence of Jesus Christ with his people. It was mind-blowing. It still is. 
that the God of the universe would condescend, take on flesh, be born, and live among us. And just hold that thought. Let's slide into chapter two here. I want to connect two different points in these first few verses, and then we're going to go to the end of Matthew. Okay, let's look at let's look at what might be the most abused of people in all the Bible, the wise men. They've been claimed to be kings, and they would say that didn't say it. The Bible doesn't say they were kings, and that's one of the reasons why. If you come in our our front door and you look over to your right, my left, you'll see a little nativity scene. You won't find the wise men. That's because they're afar. They're over in the fellowship hall, making their journey over slowly. <laughs> Who are these? Well, depending upon which parade or nativity you see, you can get all sorts of ideas. Uh, there's three of them, are there not? Well, we don't know that. There's three gifts that they gave, but some hold to as many as 14. When did they come? Well, they, they, they were right there. Some hold to as many as two plus years. These poor guys have been maligned right and left. I'm not interested as much as who they are, but what they came to do. Notice, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Just by, if you just take Matthew, so nothing else taking place, just Matthew and just the narrative here. Uh, these, in a sense, are the first Gentiles to see, recognize the kingship of baby Jesus, the deity of Christ. And what do they do? They worship him. Well, is this, is this a theme of Matthew that should be drawn out to be a theme for us when we would recognize this as yes but let's go to the end of Matthew and see how Matthew draws out this theme go with me if you will over to Matthew chapter 28 the last chapter in the book this word worship in the Greek is proskuneo it means to kneel down and to pay homage the Jehovah's Witnesses like that because it doesn't seem that there's any worship involved in that. But we recognize that to pay homage to the deity, if Christ is truly king, if he's truly the son of God, to pay homage to him is to worship him. So the question is not how do we interpret this particular Greek word, but who is Jesus Christ? And we recognize from scripture that he is Lord that he is the son of God. And so what they're doing in Matthew chapter two is worshiping the son of God. Now, Matthew chapter 28, verse 17. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they, same word, worshiped him, but some doubted. Beginning of the life of Jesus Christ, worship. End of Christ's earthly ministry, because he's died and been raised, he's about ready to ascend, worship. Jesus came to said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and then the promise 
that ties back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, the promise that we hold to as believers in Jesus Christ, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What I'm trying to help us to understand here is Matthew 1.23 and Emmanuel God with us bodily and the response of worship to the Son of God being born by the wise men in chapter 2 now carried to the end of Matthew. Matthew's arguing in many ways for us to recognize that now spiritually God being with us the response is still to be the same. We're to live lives in worship to Christ. Let's look at a few other places where the scriptures bear out worshiping Christ as God with us is worked out in the book of Matthew. You can go there if you like, but you're in Matthew 28. Just skip up a few verses. You'll notice in verse 9 of Matthew 28, what do the two Marys do? When they see the resurrected Christ, greetings, they came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. We could go over to Matthew chapter 8, verse 2. You don't need to go there, but if you like, you can. There's a leper. He's worshipping Jesus Christ. Christ does not stop him. There's, by my count, five or six other places in the book of Matthew from between chapter 2 and chapter 28 where this idea is worked out. Christ being worshipped as God with his people. Now spiritually, we're to do the same thing. Other passages in scripture bear this idea. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all angels worship him. We read it this morning in our call to worship, Revelation chapter 5, 12 through 14. I'll read it again. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, blessing. Worship. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. I don't know about you, but driving around and seeing Christmas lights and blow up nativity scenes or carved nativity scenes, I don't get the idea of worship. Why? Well, because what do we see in that nativity? We see a little baby, the baby Jesus, Uh, weak, helpless. He's an infant. And what is he typically doing? He's holding his arms up. Right? And we want to reach down and cradle the infant and take care of it. It's helpless. It needs us. And we, we grow up and we get older and we never really lose that idea of Jesus Christ needing us to accept him and help him and comfort him, needing us to love him. And the truth of the matter is he does not need us. We desperately need him. And in fact, as we worship him, we find our needs, our greatest needs fulfilled. If this was just a baby, if Jesus Christ was just some infant in Cattle stall as the song plays out. Even if he's a perfect baby, 
the results would not have been one of worship. This is important for us to realize. Did we simply see him as the baby holding out his arms for us to accept him and hold him as if he needed us to provide him acceptance? This is the disparity between the baby in the manger and the realization that this is the son of God in the manger. That he has come to us. Emmanuel, God with us. He has come in low estate but in the greatness of the perfect king over all. He has come for us. For us. For you. For me. What connects, we know the answer to this, but what connects Matthew chapter 1 and 2 with Matthew 28? What is the supernatural work, the work of saving his people from their sin look like? It looks like the cross. It looks like Jesus living out that sinless life and having the authority and the power and the commission from God the Father to take the sins of his people. If we have Jesus Christ, and I trust that if you're a believer in him today, you know that, you recognize the work of Jesus Christ for you, you have Christ in you, what does it mean? I want to tease this out for the next few minutes here. What does it mean spiritually, not bodily, that we have God with us? And the passage I'm thinking about that you might want to jot down for further review is Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. God with me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What are implications of this? What does it mean for me spiritually? What should it look like for my life today, your life today? As believers, Christ dwelling in us, what does that look like? How should that change our day-to-day lives? And I've got four things, two on the negative side, if you will, and two on the positive. Christ in us is always a positive, but certainly two things that are, two things he, he chases out of us and two things he brings to us, if you will. First two, what I'm talking about are sin, If God lives in us, that's what the Bible is telling us. Jesus Christ with us, spiritually. He's bodily no longer here, but spiritually. Paul teasing this idea out in Galatians 2.20 is in us. Christ lives within you as the believer. You can see then how important it is to worship him and him alone and everything else is idolatry. This is why in, in, in the Old Testament and in New Testament, idolatry is so condemned. It is continually focused on and drawn out because anything other than worship to God and Jesus Christ is idolatry. You're defaming that which lives within you. 1 John chapter 5. There's many verses we could go to, but let me just draw you to that one. 1 John 5, 20 through 21. We know that the Son of God has come And has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Note, final verse. Little children, keep yourself from idols. There's this idea here if you're going to be 
If you're going to be worshiping that other than Jesus Christ, you're, you're short-circuiting, you're limiting, you're, you're, you're blindfolding yourself from being able to see all the glory that is here that lives within you, the grace that is provided for you, and you're, you're, you're selling the priceless gift for a trinket that's going to break in a few minutes. Theologian John Stott says it this way, nobody can call himself a Christian who does not worship Jesus. To worship him, if he is not God, is idolatry. To withhold worship from him, if he is God, is apostasy. Idolatry is that which is condemned so strongly in Scripture for the Christian in the New Testament because Christ lives within us. Well, there's another sin, if you will, that Christ in us draws out, chases out, but has strong implications to understanding Christ within us. Paul, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 12 through 20, and that is sexual sin. And we have to go here because this is, oh, it's always been the sin of the day, and even now in America is, in fact, the sin of the day. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 12 through 20. I'm just going to read the passage, make no comment on it. Paul does a far better job than I ever could on this. But notice how he, he, he connects the idea of God in us, Christ in us, with sin. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. Why? But for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members joined of Christ shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute never or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her for as it is written the two will become one flesh but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him flee from sexual immorality every other sin a person commits is outside the body but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God you are not your own for you were bought with a price so glorify God in your body meditate on that we all struggle with sexual sin let the Holy Spirit draw out the power that is there of Christ in us the hope of glory and how that should empower us and give us strength and grace to fight these sins. Idolatry, sexual sin, worship. We've already said it, but if Jesus Christ is not the Son of God, well then we're not to worship him. But if he is the Son of God, we are to worship him. Matthew chapter four and John chapter four draw out two particular points about this. In Matthew chapter 4, 8 through 10, you'll, you may recall this is the, uh, the face-off. Uh, this is the confrontation. This is the temptation of Christ uh, by the devil. 
In Matthew chapter 4, 8 through 10, again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kings of, kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. We are to worship Christ because he is God. John 4, 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. We shall worship God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's application here that is certainly probably already in your mind, but the question being, is your life being lived in worship to Christ? Is your life being lived in worship to Christ? The obedience level that God requires, the perfection that he requires in obedience is impossible for any sinner. It's just that, it's perfection. So when, when Christ draws out, Eddie's gonna go here next week to Luke chapter 10, but I'm gonna preempt it. Sorry. Luke chapter 10. He draws out to this Pharisee, this, this lawyer who wants to go uh, and, and know how he can inherit eternal life. What does Christ draw? He draws out the law. What does the law say? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's impossible. I can't do that. Lawyer can't do that. You can't do that. No one has or can ever reach such a level of obedience. Thus the need for Christ's perfection. Thus the need for Christ's death. Thus in his resurrection and the gift of the Holy Spirit such grace is given that we can even pursue such a level of loving obedience. And maybe a greater wonder still that God finds our pursuit of loving obedience worshipful. That's grace. That in our tries and failures and feeble efforts to obey him and seek him and love him, entirely in a multifaceted way heart soul mind strength community he finds that feebleness in the righteousness of Christ in the grace of God worshipful amazing but is our life are our is our life being lived in worship to Christ Let's not miss the point. In Christ, in Christ in us, we can live a life by his grace that God the Holy Father finds worshipful. Let's pursue that. Idolatry, sexual sin, worship, another implication of Christ being in us, Emmanuel, God with us spiritually, eternal friendship. Eternal friendship. God with us physically in Matthew chapter one, spiritually now, 28, Matthew 28, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Christ, the friend of sinners, uh, as he was accused of being, and he gratefully is. John 15, 12 through 16, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The wonder of it all, verse 14, you are my friends 
If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, but the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. We sing the hymn on a fairly regular basis here. What a friend we have in Jesus. It was written in 1855 by a Mr. Scriven. His mother was across the ocean, and so he, in, in a desire to comfort her in their absence, writes this song and sends it to her. And you know the song. You probably never sung the fourth verse. There is a fourth. We only sing three because our, that's what our hymnal has. Verse four. Blessed Savior, thou hast promised, thou wilt all our burdens bear. May we ever, Lord, be bringing all to thee in earnest prayer. Soon in glory, bright unclouded, there will be no need for prayer. Rapture, praise, and endless worship will be our sweet portion there. He draws out the same idea. God with us and worship. Are you bowing the knee to King Jesus? There's not another more worthy of worship. There is not, nor ever will be, another king like King Jesus. I've hopefully helped you to see two connecting points, Emmanuel, God with us, and worship from beginning of Matthew to end of Matthew. There's one other connecting point, and I want you to see that, and then we're done. Matthew chapter two. Look at Matthew chapter two again. This one by way of character, the character of Herod. When Herod the king, verse three, heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means the least among you rulers of Judea, Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with, his, with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures. They offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warmed in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. If you skip down to verse 16 of chapter 2, you see what takes place. Then Herod he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were under two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Herod rejects the deity of Jesus Christ, who he is, the Son of God, the King. If you go back over in Matthew 20, 28, you'll see another question. Uh, another who faced with the reality, the truth, the revelation from God 
of the uniqueness and deity of Jesus Christ did not worship. 28 verse 17. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. This is the line of demarcation. Uh, this is the, the line that separates one side from the other. Yearly, those who worship Christ as the Son of God for all that he claims to be and is, that God has revealed to us in Holy Scripture, or you reject him. There's, there's a process by which God in grace can move those who reject him and slide them through a series of doubt where they come to recognize the truth of Jesus Christ. But ultimately on that final day, it's either on one side or the other. You either worship him in spirit and truth and delight and obedience or you reject him. It's, it's, there's, there's no, no other third option. There's God with us. We're to be those who worship him. Many do. Many are doing. You've been offered. You've been helped to see. I trust. You've been, had the word opened in front of you this morning to see the work of Jesus Christ for sinners. He's born, lived, died out of love for us, obedience to the Father that he might save his people from their sins. Jesus Christ came to redeem us. He offers himself to sinners. And you might be sitting here today saying, I still doubt. Well, then I would say to you today, today is the day of salvation. Today is a, is a day, a day of grace where you, by the grace of God, look to Jesus Christ. Open your Bible. Don't leave here. Don't go home and spend Christmas and wonder, I'm not really sure about all of this. You don't know the day, time, or hour of your life. I'm not hoping that anyone dies anytime soon. Nobody is. But to die not knowing Jesus Christ is not heaven, it's hell. Where do you stand in this connecting point between the beginning of Matthew and the end? Are you those who reject him? Are you in doubt? Or are you worshiping him? If you're in doubt, get off the fence. Worship him, please. See what he has done for you. See the blood he spilt for you. Recognize the work he has done to bring you into right relationship with the Father. Repent of your sins and trust Christ and you will be saved, the scriptures tell us. If you're those in Christ, then oh, let's continue to delight in this time of year and worship him. Not as some extra special day, but as just as believers, the fact that we get to draw out for the whole community to see on one day, the fact that we recognize what we know to be true from Scripture, that God is with us. He's in us. And if you here today despise Jesus Christ, would you not look at his kindness? Would you not be moved by his compassion for sinners? That he was willing to come, take on flesh take off the robe of his his heavenliness in a sense come to earth would you not be moved by that Jesus Christ the holy one the chosen one 
set apart for the salvation of sinners for glorious worship. And I, I trust that this season will be that much more glorious and worshipful for you as we just spend some time, even in the next few days, reflecting on the wonder of the incarnation, the coming of our Savior to be born to save us for glorious worship. May our hearts be filled with worship today and tomorrow and every day as we remember our dear Savior's birth. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. I have sought to do what your Bible, your word does so much better, which is to draw out the glory and implications of Jesus Christ. We're grateful, Father, for the Holy Spirit that sets upon our hearts the truth that is here. We pray, Father, that you would help us. We want to be those who are living and worship Jesus Christ. And we see that we struggle with this and, and we need desperately your grace to help us to fight our sin, to walk in obedience. Oh, Father, we would ask that you would help us even in the midst of temptation maybe this week to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a moment to be reminded even of this morning where our hearts were encouraged that he is worthy of all worship, honor, glory, and praise. He is worthy because you, the Father, have said your Son is worthy. Father, you place your worth only upon those that are worthy. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have had to gather as believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that you would strengthen us by way of fellowship, prayer, singing the word for this coming week. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we have to be encouraged by you. Be with us now as we close in song. In the precious and holy name of Christ, we pray. Amen.